The CNBC app, global market news in one place. Customizable sections and personalized alerts. Stocks tracking, interactive charts and market insights all in your hands. Stay connected, stay informed. Download the CNBC app today. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to the program. You're watching Squawk Box, and these are your headlines. Control of the Senate remains up for grabs as final polls close in the United States. NBC News now projecting that Democrat John Fetterman wins the Pennsylvania Senate seat, while in Georgia, GOP candidate Herschel Walker strikes a defiant tone, calling on supporters to remain patient. Just hanging there a little bit longer. Because something good, it takes a while for it to get better. And it's going to get better. A narrow win anticipated for the uh, Republicans in the House of Representatives. NBC News estimating that the Republicans will win 219 seats in the House, one more than needed to control the chamber. Uh, An NBC News exit poll finds that inflation and abortion rights are top of the list of voter concerns, with two-thirds of the electorate who do not want Mr Biden to run for a second term. And in markets, well, crypto giant FTX's coin falls off a cliff, wiping out over $2 billion in value. This after rival Binance steps in to buy its non-US business amid a significant liquidity crunch. So it's 1 a.m. Eastern, 6 a.m. here in London, and Steve and I are up at the big wall this morning. It's fascinating, isn't it? I have to yeah. say, a bit like, I guess, when you're looking at any political system, every yeah. couple of years you have to brush off the key states, whether it's Nevada or Georgia or Pennsylvania or Ohio, mm. and get quite interested. And I have to say, it is always fascinating looking at the various uh, levels at which this is playing out, whether it's at a Senate level, representative level, about the next presidency level, uh, about uh, what uh, Florida has become or not become, the uh, the excitement of Georgia at the governor level. It is genuinely absolutely fascinating. And then our job later on will be to talk about the markets. But in the meantime, an enormous amount going on at every single level. Uh, and dare I say it, uh, uh, not the evening we were told to expect so far. Well, no, it wouldn't, wouldn't seem so. I mean, the, the the, I think that the comment that really resonated with me as I was listening to alternative uh, channel coverage this morning on the way into the office was that this looks like a trickle. It doesn't look like the flood of results. No wave, the, no tsunami. It, no wave, no tsunami. More of a trickle for the Republicans at this stage. And, and you're absolutely right. This may be Americans going to vote, but it's the rest of the world that is incredibly focused on the outcome of this result well, because there are so many international issues and so many domestic issues that are up for grabs at this stage. Let's be very honest about it. They, they do it very well as well. I mean, whether yeah. it's MSN or Fox or wherever you get your news from as well. It is very glitzy and it's far more 
they're also like dynamic than looking at more Westminster elections <laughs> or, or looking at the elections at the Elysee Palace. I have to say, it, it yeah. does become quite an event. It's American slick, isn't it? The, uh, the final polls have just closed then in Hawaii. Results coming in uh, for the US midterm elections. Control of Congress is still up in the air at the moment. An NBC News exit poll has found inflation and abortion the most important issues for voters as they cast their ballots despite the Republicans trying to push the issue of crime. Well, in the Senate, NBC News has just projected that Democrat John Fetterman will claim the seat, flipping a key state for the Democrats. And we are still waiting on results for seven seats as tight contests in Georgia, Arizona, Nevada and Wisconsin are still too close to call this hour. Meanwhile, in Ohio's closely watched Senate race, NBC News projecting that Republican J.D. Vance has defeated Democrat Tim Ryan. The Democrats are fighting to defend their current 50-50 majority, meaning Republicans only need to flip one seat to take control of the chamber. Well, that was the case before Fetterman, of course, but uh, it's all very exciting. The NBC News uh, group, though, cannot project control of the House just yet, but the uh, News Decision Desk estimates that Republicans will win 219 seats with a margin of error uh, of 13 seats. Either party would need 218 to control the chamber. Well, look, a great part of our coverage uh, on our sister channels is NBC's Alice Barr, who joins us now. And Alice, uh, the, the line which Jeff and I were saying earlier on is this is not necessarily the evening we were led to expect coming into this evening. Yeah, we're, we're kind of in this pattern of just breaking patterns, breaking expectations over the past couple of election cycles. And that is what we're seeing tonight. We've been hearing all these these predictions of a red wave, a red tsunami uh, potentially taking over, particularly the House. That's where it was most expected that uh, Republicans were going to pick up a whole lot of seats. And it's just not really playing out that way right now. You, you guys just did a good job of laying out the picture as it stands right now. If this this projection uh, from the NBC news desk were to come through, you know, that that the Republican uh, majority in the House wound up being 219 votes. They, that That's a really narrow margin. And, and there were predictions of up to like 30 seats that potentially would separate uh, Republicans and Democrats. This is important because uh, that affects how much power uh, the House Speaker, presumably Kevin McCarthy, would have to be able to wield, you know, just kind of how much latitude he would have to try to push through the Republican agenda in the House. There are all kinds of discussions about different investigations that could be undertaken against uh, members of the Biden administration. All of that kind of stuff that's really partisan, that gets a lot harder to do if you don't have a big red wall of all of these Republican seats behind you. If it's super narrowly divided, you know, maybe some of that stuff becomes less likely. And then, of course, in the Senate, um, just getting that race called for John Fetterman, uh, the Democrat in Pennsylvania, that is huge. That's a pickup um, for Democrats. So even if they do lose one of these other seats that we're still waiting to hear about, Nevada, for instance, has been one that's been predicted could potentially go uh, toward Republicans. Now that there's that seat projected, uh, for Democrats to pick up in Pennsylvania, that gives them that cushion um, as we wait for these these other critical races to come through throughout the night. And frankly, not just the night, but potentially the weeks ahead, particularly Georgia, that could go to a runoff. That could be a little ways down the road still.
Alice, terrific. Thank you so much for that. And hopefully we'll catch up with you in the next hour for an update as these results come in. Alice Barr with us from NBC News. Well, the big story, of course, is, I guess, well. which way the house goes. But, of course, once these, <laughs> these votes are done, we're off and running We've started. on 2024, We've started. effectively. And the, and, the, and the brickbats are already coming in from yes, one potential Republican candidate towards another Republican candidate. Hmm, who might that Republican candidate well, be? Well, there's, there's the big beast of the party potentially doesn't like another beast who's coming up who's looking pretty big after a big win last yeah. night. Yeah, let's um, let's just uh, run, viewers what run, earth we're run, talking about. Run you through this. Um, NBC News now projecting that the Republican governor Ron DeSantis has won re-election in Florida, defeating his Democratic rival Charlie Crist after narrowly winning the state four years ago. DeSantis's uh, swift victory this year could be a springboard for a potential White House run. The Republican presidential hopeful has previously clashed with one Donald Trump, oh. uh, with the former president calling him Ron de Sanctimonious at a rally this weekend. But he had a very big night. And I think the other thing we need to dissect is DeSantis had a big night, but how did the Trump candidates, the endorsed Trump candidates at every level, how did they perform overnight? And that is what the Republican Party will be pouring over in the next hours, days and weeks. Because in a late night speech, a victory speech, DeSantis said he's only just begun. Interesting. I've only just begun, he said, to fight for the people of Florida. Is that the Carpenters? We have embraced freedom. We have maintained law and order. We have protected the rights of parents. We have respected our taxpayers. And we reject woke ideology. We fight the woke in the legislature. We fight the woke in the schools. We fight the woke in the corporations. We will never, ever surrender to the woke mob. Florida is where woke goes to die. I know we're talking about the midterms, but anyone else excited about the Republican primaries already? I can't wait. Uh, well, I th and again, you know, I think it was fascinating that Donald Trump did speak overnight, but he very clearly, he ignored deliberately him. ignored, ignored DeSantis. He congratulated Abbott, I believe, yeah. the Texas governor. Yeah. But he ignored um, DeSantis. Yeah, which is, which, is, which is fascinating. And, and, and for the markets, I mean, I, you know, I was talking you through some of that data yesterday. Yes that um, was, uh, had been uh, dug up. I can't remember who did the analysis, but basically they were arguing that you, one year after the midterms, oh, yeah, yeah. you Mark get a rally great. anyway. Yeah, you get a rally. Right? It's, yeah. it's, 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 it's almost baked in. It's not, it's not baked in, but it tends to happen but, after midterms. But generally, um, the near-term result can have an effect on yeah. whether we get the Christmas rally or not. Yeah. Let, let us put some markets up. Do you know yeah. what? I, I want to tell you something that happened last night that we're going to talk a lot about after the break, but I thought it was the most interesting. Well, there was a couple of very interesting things. Mm. One, the Dow's now rallied three out of three really solid gains up over one percent for three sessions in a row so the market was glacial and rallying and it's some big data later in the week as well but the other thing was the market ignored what happened in crypto and yes. we'll talk about that a little bit later yeah, on well, that's I know we've got to move incredible on. the market ignored crypto as just an annoying yapping dog or, or an annoying younger brother or sister or annoying co-anchor like me it ignored all that noise moving swiftly on larry uh, sabato is uh, founder and director at the university of virginia center for politics larry thanks so much for joining us on this uh, important day for your country F firstly just give me your reaction what do you think we're learning at this stage and
How do you think the results may differ from the early picture? Yes, they're going to differ uh, quite a bit, a fair amount, because Republicans were absolutely certain. I can say that because I've talked with the, the leadership right before today, Election Day. They were absolutely convinced that they would win 35, 40 additional seats in the House of Representatives. The reason I talked to them, they were calling to criticize me we're only projecting half of what they thought they were going to get. It turns out my half is going to be too high. Uh, they're going to win the House of Representatives, but it isn't going to be by many, by many seats. And as a result, uh, it's going to be much more difficult to govern the House for the Republicans. It'll be much more difficult for them to oppose uh, President Biden, uh, certainly to try to impeach him, which they keep talking about. And, and more to the point, the leadership in the House is going to have to bend down to the most right-wing elements of the party because they don't have a lot of spare seats. This is, this is really unexpected. They didn't expect it. The pollsters didn't expect it. I know you're shocked that the polls were wrong. Again, 2016, 2018, 2020, 2022, it's kind of a pattern now. Uh, and um, I think as a whole, uh, we're going to have to reevaluate everything we thought was coming. Larry, just to backfill for our international audience, uh, I'm sure that the domestic audience is well aware of your crystal ball blog projections, which have some uh, notoriety, I think, for their accuracy. Um, you pretty much got this one on the nail. What was it you think you were seeing about the reaction on policy issues that other pollsters weren't? Uh, I found that uh, my friends in the polling industry were minimizing the effect of the overturning of Roe v. Wade. That is really what energized the Democratic Party and the Democratic base. If the Supreme Court, of course, controlled by Republicans, six to three, if the Supreme Court had not overturned abortion rights with their Dobbs decision, then I suspect Republicans would have done about as well as they expected to do. But they minimized the importance of this, reinforced by the polls that suggested inflation was so much more important than abortion rights, which it is in some ways, but not necessarily in mo motivating people to go to the polls. Um, so that's the fundamental. Uh, and for Democrats, it's, it's odd to think about something that they regard as a terrible twist in American history, overturning a 50-year president in the Supreme Court about abortion rights. That has actually turned into the reason why they have done reasonably well in this midterm election. Larry, that's phenomenal that it overtakes the cost of living crisis, the inflation concerns, the crime concerns as well. Um, just just really, just very briefly, I know we've got to move on, but, but what, what does it mean for A, the president, that he's outperformed expectations and outperformed most presidents uh, in their midterm as well? And what does it mean for the research for the soul of the Republican Party as well? We, we alluded to the fact that there's a battle royale about to happen. For President Biden, it means that he has additional ammunition to use against those who are saying he's too old and should not run for re-election. He's going to cite this uh, as proof that his platform has worked and that the things that he has gotten passed have reached the people. For the Republicans, uh, this has unleashed President Trump again, who is announcing for president next Tuesday for the third time he's running. 
And that's going to keep a lot of Republicans out of the race, though, as you noted, not Ron DeSantis. He won a blowout victory in Florida, uh, even winning the Latino precincts in Miami-Dade, which has been a Democratic stronghold. So uh, it's pretty obvious Trump wants to get out there quickly to try and stop DeSantis. And his effect will be mainly on some of the minor candidates who I don't even think will run now. Larry, obviously there are ramifications for how the Republicans can control the House as well. Uh, Ramifications for investigatory committees and what that may or may not um, look like. But what about for the American people, the issues that really matter for them as well? Will the government be ineffective? Will we, in effect, be a lame duck session despite the fact uh, that the Democrats outperformed expectations overnight? It might encourage a little more cooperation and bipartisanship, but I wouldn't bet much on it. Uh, We're deeply divided, and that's reflected in Congress. In fact, the division there is even greater than in the American Republic. So I would say, on the whole, it's going to be difficult for Biden to get much passed. We're going to have another two years, basically, of gridlock. And remember, every president since Reagan, including Reagan, has had periods in his administration where the other party controlled one or both houses of Congress. And we had gridlock. Very little got done. And certainly in the recent presidents, uh, presidencies, when you have gridlock of this sort, almost nothing gets done. So Biden is going to have to use the veto if anything gets to his desk. He'll have to uh, issue executive orders, which are really uh, pieces of legislation that haven't been passed by Congress that are become edicts from the president. And uh, he's not going to be able to get the kinds of things that he wants, maybe even some confirmations, depending on what happens in the Senate. The Senate is still very much up in the air. If he can hold on to 50-50, the Democrats would still be in charge with the vote of the vice president breaking the tie. That would mean a great deal to him and would set him up potentially for 2024 if it's if it's health holds. Larry, let let me just ask you about the debt ceiling then, because um, I I think there's been a lot of market speculation that that we will be back into that whole uh, push me, shove you around the debt ceiling here. But but with a much narrower lead in the House than anticipated, Could this actually mean that the debt ceiling won't be quite the sticky issue that the markets have anticipated, that that, uh, government payrolls will get met, that we won't get closure of parks and all those other issues that come alongside this uh, ongoing spat? I would like to think it's the latter, and there is a chance that will happen because there are going to be a few moderate Republicans Uh, who see what's happened and realize that if they go too far to the right, they get too extreme, the House Freedom Caucus begins running the Republican caucus in the House, they might be challenged and defeated in 2024 for their own seats. So it's an incentive for them to reach some kind of compromise with the Democrats in the House and Senate and do what needs to be done on the debt ceiling. And everybody knows what needs to be done, but it's going to be as a result of political posturing. What a shock. That always happens, but it's going to be worse now. Uh, this is is potentially some good news in that a party that wins by a big majority, which Republicans were planning on, gets puffed up and just is determined to do what they want, the way they want to do it, when they want to do it. Well, the Republicans can't do that after 
the rebuke, really, they have had at the polls. Larry, clear-eyed analysis at 1.19 in the morning. I wish I could do the same. Thank you very much indeed for the time, sir. Really good. And what an amazingly fascinating night US politics has dished up for all of us. Thank you, Larry. Larry Sabato, who is founder and director of UVA Center for Politics as well. Um, absolutely fascinating in yep. terms of the market. As I say, mm. one thing that I think a lot of people hadn't anticipated, and I will put myself in that bracket as well, mm. is that the rally has had a very meaningful rally, I should say, on US equities. Three nights in a row, three days in a row, yep. ahead of what I thought was a pivotal week and a great excuse to put your, 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 your hands down and just not get involved, mm. i.e. you've got the midterms plus the CPI data, and yet the market uh, has just thought, no, we're going ahead with this. wonder if this is good equity is bad bonds. We'll have to wait and That's watch. That's a great But question. we'll come back to it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Siemens Health Veneers has posted record full-year revenue of €21.7 billion, Euros, an adjusted EBIT for the year of €3.7 billion, Euros, both beating analyst expectations. So that's a nice uh, platform to speak to Bernd Montag, who is the CEO of Siemens Health Veneers. Bernd, very good day to you. Thank you very much indeed for joining us. How would you sum up the quarter? team has achieved yeah we have uh, um, very very strong revenue uh, strong profitability and I think what is uh, um, also very important strong um, orders yeah so which makes us very confident uh, for the uh, new fiscal year ahead um, I thought it was very interesting the comments you've made about the diagnostics division and I wondered if that was a metaphor for broader operations i.e. you said external headwinds are outweighing operational improvements in diagnostics next level of measures initiated do you have concerns Bernd, that the huge headwinds facing businesses especially businesses in Europe uh, could overwhelm uh, what you are trying to do as a company uh, and the individual gains no, we are overall extremely positive. Yeah, we will. Uh, we look for um, six to eight percent growth um, in the next fiscal year, um, and also um, we expect a recovery of margins. Yeah, because um, we saw that um, um, the price. We see that the pricing measures, which we successfully have in- implemented on the order side, will now step by step grow into also the revenue line. So we are. Um, extremely um, positive overall um, that we will have a, a good year ahead, uh, a very good year ahead when it comes to both revenue but also um, upticks on the margin side. So with, in other terms, short answer, we feel well equipped um, to weather the um, challenging supply chain situations. Bernd, I remember when we talked to you last quarter, you, you were still discussing some of the supply chain challenges and the ongoing issues with COVID zero in China. How close are you then to those particular problems having washed out as far as your management team focus is concerned? See, I mean, I think we are now um, very, very well uh, trained in in dealing with uh, with these situations. Um, Our Chinese team um, weathered that storm in um, in the last year very, very well. Um, and um, and I don't expect um, situations uh, to repeat in the in the in the form as they were in the in Q3. Yeah. So from that point of view, um, I think we are we are fine. And if it will be, uh, it will be very local issues, yeah, which will not have um, impact on 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 on. 
on, on the global business yeah, in an avalanche type effect. We are, we are discussing, as you would have heard, uh, and I, as I'm sure you're focused on as well, the midterm elections taking place at the moment, which may have um, importance for spending in the United States um, going forward. I, I just wonder if you have a line as to whether you have any concerns at all about health budgets in the U.S. Um, no, actually not. I mean, the, the topics um, we are... Um, we are addressing our of, of bipartisan interest um, and um, we don't expect major um, um, changes in, 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 in legislation. I think that the, the, the need for better health care, um, an aging population, you know, more and more chronic diseases, this is exactly um, what, um, what, what we are, what we are uh, focusing on. And um, these are topics which go beyond politics on the one hand, but on the other hand, there's, um, there's also, in this case, yeah, agreement um, between the parties that, the, that, that, um, that this is a basic topic um, the government needs to focus on. Bernd, we're going to wrap with you, but thank you so much for being with us this morning. Good to hear from you and best of luck with the coming quarter. Uh, let's refocus on those elections. So the Democrat Stacey Abrams has called Governor Brian Kemp to concede the Georgia governor's race. NBC News has projected that Kemp will be re-elected as Georgia's governor with over 50% of the vote avoiding a runoff election. Let's get to NBC's Blaine Alexander, who joins us now with more. Um, Stacey Abrahams, totemic uh, in the uh, presidential elections and a couple of years ago, but this time she couldn't get over the line, Blaine. Yeah, and you know, this really has been just a fascinating uh, race to watch, Steve, for a number of reasons. Uh, one, yes, this is a very closely watched rematch. This is essentially part two of what we watched back in 2018, the first time that uh, Brian Kemp faced off against Stacey Abrams. What's really interesting about tonight, though, is the difference in the victory for Governor Brian Kemp. Back then, he won by just under two points. This time, he won by more than eight percentage points. So I think it illustrates a couple of things, Steve. One is that when you look at this, this is a very different race now than it was back in 2018. The dynamics are very different. Back then, uh, Brian Kemp was a Trump-endorsed candidate. He was somebody who was seen as a far-right candidate, somebody who had uh, ads that were uh, essentially showed him brandishing a firearm and saying that he was going to use his pickup truck to round up undocumented immigrants. Uh, and that was something that alienated a, a lot of people who possibly saw him as too far to the right. Fast forward four years and what we saw in the campaign this time around, he had a very public split with former President President Trump, uh, and he ran much more closely on his record. And some sources within his campaign told me that they were going to try and use that essentially an appeal to some voters who didn't vote for him last time around and who possibly were some of the more moderate voters. They were going to point to his record and say, hopefully they can bring him on board. And that really was one of the things that they looked at as a key to victory. Another thing that's a big, uh, a big difference, though, is, yes, you talked about 2020, and that was when Georgia flipped blue. And that was something that, uh, for many people who watch Georgia politics, kind of looked at it and said, hey, maybe this is some sort of inclination that it could 
be a Stacey Abrams victory this time around. That and the fact that there are now 1.6 million more voters, more registered voters here in Georgia than there were back in 2018. But a couple of things, Steve. One, back in 2020, I remember talking to a lot of voters back then, and a lot of the voters that I spoke to named two very clear motivations. One, uh, they were talking about the pandemic, the coronavirus pandemic and social justice. But two, they were very united in their desire to get then-President Trump out of office. Those are a couple of things that are missing now. Those kind of motivators, the very clearly defined motivators, are not in place this time around. And it's something that likely hurt Stacey Abrams when it came to turnout and really driving people to the polls. I want to talk, though, about what we did see in terms of turnout. What's really interesting here in Georgia, we saw record-breaking turnout for early voting numbers. More people voted before Election Day, this midterm cycle, than we've seen in any other midterm election in Georgia state history. It's something that both Democrats and Republicans were kind of looking at as a bonus for them going into tonight. Both of them were feeling confident, but they were also saying not to look at the polls. But it ultimately did show that Stacey Abrams lost to Brian Kemp by very decisive margins. Excellent work, Blaine. Thank you very much indeed. And my goodness me, what an extraordinary uh, Senate race we're seeing as well. But thank you very much indeed for that. And uh, Warnock at the moment, I'm just looking at the MSNBC site, uh, and Walker, Hersh Walker, the Republican, mm. neck and neck. And it does look like that it's, it's a straight knockout, I understand, in Georgia. If you get over 50%, you are uh, the senator as well. It looks like neither of them do that. I think because of the independent vote, um, got 2% as well, or something mm. around that. So mm. now it's going to be up to December the 6th, which is less time than we spent last time on Georgia, yeah. but it's still going to keep that one bubbling over and how important that could be for the Senate race. Can you imagine having to go and vote again in a runoff? That would be... Uh, just... December as well. Yeah. Uh, Binance is uh, set to buy the non-US operations of rival crypto exchange FTX for an undisclosed amount after a liquidity crisis at the Sam Bankman-Fried-owned firm saw account holders blocked from accessing funds. Would they pay money, <clears throat> real money, or crypto for it? <laughs> <laughs> no, but well, I that's just, an interesting question. I just thought I'd chuck that one out there. You know, bear in mind, you know, crypto is the future and it's going to yeah. replace all the fiat currencies. Yeah. When you say real money, isn't crypto real money, Steve? It will be one day, potentially, according right. to the advocates. But at the moment, you, you, you can't really buy too much with it unless you're in El Salvador or somewhere. Right. Uh, the FTX <laughs> token is set for its worst daily performance since 2019. Binance CEO Changpeng Zhao uh, said in a tweet that Binance will conduct full due diligence diligence in coming days. Yeah, I bet they will. The, uh, the move uh, sparked a sell-off across cryptocurrencies with Bitcoin falling as low as 17,300, uh, its lowest level since November what, 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 2020. What did it spark in the real market? Uh, I don't, real assets? I, I, you know what? It, I get the sense Absolutely. that the real market has stopped watching crypto. I know. Don't you get that sense? A hundred percent. Well, again, that's, wait, that's a weighted sentence yeah. again when I say the real market. I, I, uh, the I'll other market. Well, the real market with real assets, with real right. underlying assets. Yeah, I'll say it. There yeah. you go. I don't mind getting abused by them on Twitter again. They can do what they like. Right. Um, but, but the truth of the matter is, the market ignored it. You know, like the yapping little dog. You know, we've, right. we've got great, lovely, fantastic hounds, you and I. But yeah, yeah. they get these little yappy dogs. Right. Normally Jack Russells, I'd have yeah. to be honest, yeah. at your heels. It's like the yappy dog. Look at me, look at me, look at me. And like everyone's right. like, whatever, I'm carrying on. I'm I, ignoring you. You know what? You're not going to get that Twitter rage because they're all trying to, they've left Twitter and they're all trying to figure out how to make Mastodon work. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, they like Twitter because... <laughs> 
Uh, isn't Musk a fan of crypto? Isn't it? I, I think he, he is. Doesn't yeah. he sometimes take payments of Tesla's I'm not sure he does anymore, but uh, he, he does. Did, he, he, does, does he, for he does. He does. He did for a while. Didn't he? he did for a little bit. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. But maybe they could convert that into dollars right. really quickly before it matters. Yeah, I think we've just demonstrated we know nothing about crypto. And you know what? Neither do most of you out there, but you didn't stop you buying it, did it? Uh, coming up on the show, we speak to the CEO of Billfinger. I don't care. Uh, that, well, I care about this, so Billfinger, real company. CEO Thomas Schultz on the back of the results. Very, very uh, short break, and then we'll get to him. Listen to CNBC's Beyond the Valley, the podcast that explores the biggest tech news from across the globe. Join me, Arjun Karpal. And me, Tom Chitty, every week as we bring you insights into the top stories, unpack the latest trends, and find out where the industry is headed. Now available on Spotify, Apple Music, and Google Podcasts. Welcome back, everybody. This is Squawk Box. Control of the Senate remains up for grabs as final polls close. NBC News projecting that Democrat John Fetterman wins the Pennsylvania Senate seat, while in Georgia, the GOP candidate Herschel Walker strikes a defiant tone, calling on supporters to remain patient. Just hang in there a little bit longer, because something good, it takes a while for it to get better. And it's going to get better. Well, a narrow win anticipated for the GOP in the House of Representatives. NBC News estimating that the Republicans will win 219 seats in the House, one more than needed to control the chamber. An NBC News exit poll finds that inflation and abortion rights were top of the list of concerns for voters, while two-thirds of the electorate do not want Joe Biden to run for a second term. In other news, crypto giant FTX's coin falls off a cliff, wiping out over $2 billion in value after rival Binance steps in to buy its non-US business amid a, quote, significant liquidity crunch. Right, lots going on. In the Senate, NBC News has projected the Democrat John Fetterman will claim the Pennsylvania seat. Now, that flips a key state for the Democrats. Uh, we're still waiting on results from seven seats. A really tight contest, as you heard in the heads there in Georgia, especially Arizona and Nevada. Wisconsin, all still too close to call. Meanwhile, in Ohio's closely watched Senate race, NBC News projects that Republican J.D. Vance has defeated the Democratic rival Tim Ryan. The Democrats are fighting to defend their current 50-50 majority, meaning Republicans only needed to flip one seat net to take control of the chamber. But of course, uh, the, the Fetterman win uh, may well uh, upset those dynamics. NBC News cannot project control of the House, but the NBC News decision desk has estimated at the moment, and it is a fast-moving feast, that Republicans will win 219 seats with a margin of error, and this is the point here, big margin of error, 13 seats. Now, either party would need 218 seats to control the chamber. Over half of US voters say the top issue deciding their vote was either inflation or abortion. Now that came ahead of crime, gun policy and immigration according to an NBC News exit poll. 32% of voters listed inflation as their most important issue. Democrats were trusted more than Republicans on abortion, whilst Republicans led on inflation, crime 
and immigration. More than two-thirds of voters said they don't want uh, President Biden to run again in 2024. 46% of voters said President Biden's policies are hurting the country, compared to 36% who said his policies were helping. German industrial company Billfinger has posted third quarter revenue of just over 1 billion euros. That's 11% higher than last year. We're pleased to catch up with Thomas Schultz, the CEO of Billfinger. Uh, Thomas, good morning to you and, and thank you for joining us here. Um, an interesting story you've got for us this morning. Um, in, term, in revenue terms, it looks like things are going reasonably well here but there is a, a warning on net profit because of some exceptional items just talk us through the quarter yeah at first good morning to everybody we had actually quite a good quarter 19 percent organic growth and order intake and as you said 11 percent growth in the revenue actually cash flow was good and the margin was on a reasonable level comparable to last year but when we look into the, situ in the situation, what we have, you all hear the worrying news about the global industry, global business. For us, efficiency and sustainability from our clients is top of the league. And there we are very well positioned. But in such a time, of course, you have to look into your own company to look what can you do more to bring the company's performance ahead. And one big item, what we see in North America, Europe and Middle East very much is to invest into education and training to get younger people into industrial companies again and having a career and on the blue color side too. For that, we looked into how to find the funding for that and administration in a time where you get more and more digitalized is of course an area where you can look in to make it more optimal. One of the uh, points that you make here, I think, is the need for ongoing efficiency enhancements. And it's, it's the booking of costs for that that will have the impact going forward. How, how much fat is there actually to trim in Billfinger at this point? Uh, my sense is that your business, like many other businesses, have been running relatively leanly. Um, what is it you're doing at this stage that will have that cost impact that will make a difference? Yeah, we see actually that we have an improvement potential of 55 million euro. And that is what we will take in that step approach efficiency program in the next few weeks and months to come. The cost for it is 60 million euro. Important to say is roughly one quarter of the 55 million, what we will save by streamlining administration and other cost items in the SGNA, we will reinvest into education and training. Thomas, very good morning to you. Look, whether it's hydrogen, LNG, nuclear, the broader energy transition, Billfinger uh, is involved as well. We're late to the party compared to where we should have been in terms of the energy transition, relying too much on authoritarian regime gas suppliers and oil suppliers. How's it going for corporate Germany in particular, sir? Yeah, at first for us, it was actually very well. Hydrogen, LNG, District heating, district cooling, nuclear, my favorite, nuclear, very green technology, all developing in the right direction. Demand in the world, demand in the regions are going very well. Yes, you are right. We see more and more administrative or government impact on different items in our business. On the other side, when you look into, uh, we heard in US inflation is a big item in the midterm elections. 
it is, of course, a very big item in Europe, too. The people see that they have to pay for energy three, four, ten times more than before. And it hits and it hurts the people. It is important that we look more into sustainability and green energy. But in the meantime, until we have it, we have to see that existing infrastructure get utilized to the absolute maximum and in a very efficient way. And that is where we as Pilfinger are sitting in the core and in the heart of the industry. And I think in many ways, Thomas, events have proven it doesn't matter really what you think about climate change and about sustainability. Plenty of people are detractors uh, around the world. But if you want energy security, uh, having alternative technologies and alternative sources of energy, that's just as important as well. Can alternatives over the medium term, and I hear what you said about the short term, can alternatives over the medium term accelerate that independence from an energy perspective for Europe? Absolutely, it can. And one very important item is there. It will be a hell of a good sales point and sales product package for whole Europe into the whole world. We are running ahead in sustainability, in technology in Europe, if we play the competence and the demand and the need and the push what we have in the society in the right way. On the other side, when you look into this green, what we call green energy, it's not only about the energy supply, it's about the energy supply in a stable, regular way. It is important, I take, for example, Germany, we have a 50 hertz net grid, what we have in Germany. If we have too much, we go out of range. So to have it stable is important too. We have the knowledge, we have the money, we have the infrastructure, we have the willingness. But to implement it, we need more time. It's not done tomorrow. And I really demand that we stop to talk so much about it and just go for it. We as Billfinger and a lot of our clients are absolutely prepared for it. If only the politicians would listen to such sense. Let's stop talking about it and go for it. Love it, Thomas. Nice to speak to you, sir. Thank you very much indeed for joining us from Mannheim today. Thomas Schulz, CEO of Billfinger. Thank you for listening to Squawk Box Europe Express. For more market-moving news, you can head to cnbc.com. Or join us again on the show with Jeff Cutmore, Steve Sedgwick and Karen Show Weekdays on CNBC.